Good morning, church family. We are in Matthew 4, so if you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 4. I just want to enjoy the sound of Bible pages rustling for just a moment, so just go ahead. There we go. And you know, as as often is the case, we have been singing this morning's sermon already, haven't we? Christ has defeated every sin, cast all our burdens now on him. You ever think about what you're singing? It's good to do that. Our king, Jesus, was tempted in every way. We are, his people are tempted, yet was without sin. Unlike you, unlike me, he defeated every temptation to sin. He who knew no sin is our Jesus. Christ has done every day in his earthly life what you and I fail to do every day in our earthly life. And if you don't agree with that, I can see you're already offended. Sorry. In this room right now, there are three kinds of people. Some of you have already been tempted to sin today, the Lord's Day. Some of you are being tempted to sin right now. The rest of you most surely will be tempted to sin before the sun is down. We sang about this earlier. Neither the flesh nor the devil take weekends off. Did you know that? The enemy of souls doesn't care that this is the Lord's day, nor that it's a holiday weekend for you, if it is a holiday weekend for you. Temptation takes no holidays. Have you noticed that? Martin Luther put it better. We sang his words. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe, His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. But this morning, we see in Scripture, not just our ancient foe, who seeks to work you woe, and me too, but we see the king who is more than Satan's equal. And we see him defeating every temptation to sin on behalf of his people. And we see in Jesus the high ground that he has won for us as his children and the high ground that he has secured for us in our own temptations, our own battle with temptation. So let's just look at Matthew 4 now together, beginning in verse 1. We often start with the first verse, don't we? Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Here is our king alone in the wilderness. About three years ago, actually almost exactly three years ago to this day, Pam and I stood in the shade of a broken down tour bus in the Judean wilderness, just outside Jericho. It was about 116 degrees in the shade. And the reason I know that is because the first thing that you start talking about when your bus breaks down in that place is, I wonder how hot it is. Did did anybody check? And and followed immediately by, how long do you suppose we'll be here? You know, that sort of thing. And um, we suffered for Jesus for... 40 minutes, 40 minutes with our sun hats and our Skittles and our, and our chilled water bottles. And um, you know the real blessing about that, seriously, so everybody on that bus was thinking deep thoughts about how in the world our Savior, the Lord Jesus, endured 40 days in such an environment with no food, and no chilled water bottle, by choice. Jesus faced this fierce trial in the wilderness willingly, not accidentally. This is not happenstance, as if there is such a thing anyway. Jesus was not a victim of the devil, don't think that. Ambushed and roughed up unawares, that sort of thing. That's not what's happening at all. Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil And he's getting straight to work, isn't he? And Matthew presents us with our king, strong, victorious, though human as we are. Who is this Jesus we've been reading about? Well, says Matthew, he's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. He's just as human as you are. And yet he's the man of whom God himself has just declared in Matthew 3, this is my beloved son and who I am well pleased. And notice in verse 1 the word then. And I want you to just circle that in your friend's Bible so they don't forget this stuff. Listen, why, why does that matter? Right after his baptism, says Matthew, the heavens are rent open And the Father's voice 
affirms the Son and affirms the Son to all who hear, then Jesus is led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Oh, how we need this word, then. We know what it is, do we not? To have seasons of blessing. Everything just seems so good. And God's smile isn't just known, it's felt. Don't you love those seasons? And you begin to think what? I got this thing. I got this living for God thing down. Then. (laughs) Then you find yourself in the wilderness, don't you? Well, so does Jesus here. And the scripture says to us, his people, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. The the, the most dangerous ground you can stand on, friend, is the ground that's labeled, I think I got this thing. Trials and temptations very quickly follow seasons of blessing. And I wonder if Hayden Bible Church needs to keep this in mind. Blessed of the Lord in so many ways as we've been. For such a long season. We dare not slip into the mindset. That says we got this thing. Still in verse 1 making tremendous progress obviously. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. We have to stop there too. Why? I want you to notice, first of all, that temptation is not the same thing as sin. Temptation to sin is not the same thing as sin. And you say, well, that's, that's obvious. Why are you mentioning that? Because many of God's people are sorely burdened by the relentless temptations to this or that or the other thing. And we want to be careful to keep in mind that the temptation itself is not the sin. Exhibit A, God the Son, led of the Spirit to be tempted of the devil. When I was a, a, um, a youngster, the, the sin wasn't the fleeting thought that I could eat all of the chocolate chip cookies that my mom had just set out. The sin was eating most of them and then putting paper towels in the cookie jar and setting the few that had survived my rampage on the top. And kids, let me just tell you, it doesn't work anyway, so don't, some of the kids are taking notes now. Um, see, the, 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 the fleeting thought wasn't the sin. It was, the, it was what followed. Notice, secondly, that the spirit who fills Christ at his baptism is the spirit who leads him into the wilderness. Jesus lived every day of his earthly life in the power of the Holy Spirit. And and so we know that walking in God's will, living under the influence of the Spirit, as opposed to what? Anything else. Walking in God's will, living under the influence of the Spirit, does not exempt God's people from temptation. 
Don't, don't believe that lie. If I go to church and I stay in the Word and I, and, and I, and I pray and I, and I help enough little old ladies across the street, then I won't be tempted to sin. Once I'm a pastor, I won't be tempted in that area. How about this one? This circumstance is so difficult. It cannot possibly be God's will. Those types of things, theologically speaking, are baloney. That's a theological term, baloney. And you and I know it by experience. When is Jesus tempted to sin? All the time. When did he sin? Not once. Not once. But here is perfect humanity walking in the spirit as perfect humanity does. And he is relentlessly targeted by the enemy of souls. So that ought not to surprise us when it happens to his people. And temptation does not come only when you are at your most worldly. Jesus was and is only godly. Jesus is God. And temptation often comes then when you are closest to the Lord. The enemy of souls is rude enough to barge right into your prayer closet. Have you noticed that? And he barges right into your Bible study time. He's very rude that way. So don't be surprised by that. Scandalized by it. What a, what a strange juxtaposition this is. Look, at, look again in verse 1. Jesus is led by the Spirit to be tempted, but the temptation itself is the work of the devil. Don't miss that. God does not tempt you or anyone, does he? James has something to say about that. But God does allow temptation. Job comes to mind. Satan asks permission to mess with Job. The Lord allows it for his sovereign purposes, his good purposes, but says that you can go this far and then no farther. Paul comes to mind. That thorn in the flesh, Paul says, a messenger from Satan. What a strange thing. And yet God used it to keep an apostle humble. God used it to show his apostle the sufficiency of grace. So, so here is the Holy Spirit compelling, you know, you know, moving Jesus out into this wilderness for the express purpose of being tempted by the devil, tested by God, tested by God. Satan tempts God's people in order to destroy. Be sure of that. God tests his people to prove himself faithful. And to prove his people genuine. Why do I mention that? Why belabor the point? We've not even gone past verse 1. And you're already worried about the time. I can see it on your faces. Why, why belabor it like this? Because we who are God's people. And fight temptation every day as we do. Need to know. That every temptation. Is an opportunity for the Lord to show himself faithful, to show himself strong, to show himself present 
in Matthew 4, then, what do we mean by proving Jesus genuine? Well, Jesus doesn't lack the knowledge of who he is. God the Father has already declared his Son to be the one with whom he is well pleased. You see, we need to see the perfection of our Jesus. We need to see this Jesus who was tempted in all ways we are yet without sin. So this wilderness that we travel into via the scriptures is a display case for the love of the Father for the Son. The love of the Son for the Father. And listen, God's love for you. This Jesus is victorious in the face of temptation for you. You who are his people. We'll we'll come back to that. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Do you suppose that's an understatement? After he was hungry. What, what an astonishing thing. What, what is Matthew saying? Jesus isn't just hungry the way some of you are hungry right now because it's fixing to be lunchtime. Jesus is nearly starved to death. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. Okay? He's in a desert where it is crazy hot. And he is enduring now the relentless assaults on his person by the enemy of souls. Jesus, weakened as he is in his humanity, is hungry. (laughs) And it's there so that we might not be those who say, well, wait a minute, I know Jesus was tempted, but he's God. So it must have been a piece of cake for him. I mean, surely he can't relate to the temptations I endure, my goodness. Well, no, here is Jesus in his humanity, weakened in his humanity in ways that we cannot relate to. So yes, he, he does not have a sin nature, that is true. Jesus has, was not born with sin in Adam the way you and I are born with a sin nature in Adam. But here... These temptations that come from outside, not inside, but outside, are hurled at God the Son in his humanity like no man or woman has ever experienced. This is our king in the wilderness, conquering the works of the devil for his people. Think about the contrast between the first Adam, and Christ, the second Adam. The first Adam fell while in paradise, surrounded by food and water, the epitome of human strength, if you just wanted to look at it from an earthly perspective. What about us? With our relative strength. Am I the only one here who's a little bit shocked sometimes at how little it takes for me to fall in the face of temptation? Do you guys care if this is practical and personal? But here the second Adam, our king, perseveres in this hellish wilderness without food and water by choice. The epitome of humanity and weakness. And doesn't the scripture say, you 
God's people have a high priest, a great high priest, who sympathizes with you in your weakness, who's been tempted in every way you have, yet is without sin. Let's look at the first temptation, and we'll speed up a little bit now. Verse 3, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. The word if is, is kind of an unfortunate translation. The devil is not debating whether Jesus of Nazareth is, is God the Son. And, and Jesus is certainly not having an identity crisis. That's not what's happening here. It, it's, it's more like, since you're God's Son, why are you suffering like this? Surely you deserve better. There's no need for you to have to experience this. In fact, Jesus, don't you see that the stones around you are even shaped like bread, loaves of various sizes? Why not just speak and let one of them, how about just a small one, be made bread for a man who's near to starving to death? And you're alone, by the way. No one's going to see this. You ever hear that one? Maybe so. And who would dare blame you if they did see you? Well, what's really going on here? Is this really to do with bread? Listen, Jesus faced temptation to serve himself, to, to live by something other than dependence upon the Lord. And he beat it back, didn't he? He defeated every sin, including this temptation to serve himself. I wonder, do we ever face temptation to serve ourselves? Of course. Adam did, as I mentioned, and he failed. Israel did, ancient Israel did, and failed. In fact, these 40 days in the wilderness are a loud echo of the 40 years in the wilderness endured by God's people after the Exodus. In fact, all of the scriptures Jesus cites in this battle in the wilderness are from Deuteronomy 6, 7, and 8. It's all to do with the Israel of God, Jesus, coming to do what ancient Israel failed to do, live in loyalty to God. Listen to Moses reminding Israel of this in Deuteronomy 8. He says, Remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. You see, God's people are meant to live by his promises, whether we feel them or understand them fully or not. God says to his people, Israel, I'm going to take care of you, but we're hungry and there's no food and we're remembering the, the, the things we had back in Egypt and, and there's the temptation to not trust God. Our greatest need 
is to live by faith in the promises of God. Absolute dependence upon the word of the one who saved us. Jesus, in his humanity, is doing this perfectly. Listen to the way our king answers the tempter. Look at verse 4. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Direct quote from Deuteronomy 8. And don't misunderstand this. Jesus is not saying that as long as you carry your Bible around, you'll never experience the sensation of hunger. Some of you know that's not true right now, don't you? I mean, that, that's not what this is about. Jesus himself is near starvation. Jesus is saying, look, we're, we're meant to live by faith in God's covenant commitment. The God who said he would provide will provide. The Father who promised the Son that he would be provided for all the way to the cross will be provided for. What a victory this is for our King. Do you have a share in this victory? By that I mean, do you know this King who's done what you cannot and offers his perfect obedience to be credited to your account? Look at verse 5. Then the devil took him up into the holy city set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. What a temptation this is. Let's see if God's word is true. Well, let's just put it to the test. And, 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 and the tail end of, of what is it, verse um, uh, 6, is in italics in most of your Bibles, maybe bold case or, or capitals. And it's a reminder to you that it's a quote from the Old Testament, isn't it? This is Psalm 91. You mean, you mean Satan knows the Bible? Well, sure. And he's pleased to misquote it, isn't he? The, the, the same way people today are pleased to misquote scripture. Judge not, lest you be judged. How, how many times has that been twisted around to justify all manner of things? That's not even part of the sermon. That was a, that's for extra, right? <laughs> Although it does occur to me that Psalm 91 remains one of the most abused portions of scripture today. People justifying all sorts of wacky things and then reciting Psalm 91. What what does our Savior do? Well, he knows. He does have an appointment on his calendar to be outside the holy city, outside Jerusalem one day. And he knows that he is going to be lifted up and recognized as God the Son. But not now. And the enemy's temptation is what? So, Well, why not just skip the next three years of rejection and poverty and humiliation? Why not skip the cross itself and get to the point? Surely the end justifies the means. You suppose God's people still deal with that kind of thing today? The end justifies the means? 
Throw yourself down, says the devil. And you and I both know those angels, they're going to make, you're not even going to scuff your sandal. Come on. Jesus faced the temptation to presume upon God. Like who? Like you face the temptation to presume upon God. And our Jesus, our King, victorious as he is here, has no desire to do anything that is contrary to the plan and purpose of God. He will make his way to Jerusalem one day, soon enough, but not to avoid death, to face death head on, to die himself, to taste death himself for his people. So he says in verse 7, Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Quoting from the word of God once more. And once more, we're reminded of what? God's ancient people, Israel, tempted as they were to put God to the test. Moses, the one who struck the rock, when the people were thirsty and bellyaching about it, remembered this to God's people. Deuteronomy 6, You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. Better translation might be test. You shall not test the Lord your God. Don't put God to the test. Well, who does that? Well, a lot of people in the first service, for sure. (laughs) And I don't know about you all. But it goes something like this. Go ahead and marry her. She's not a believer. But don't you know God wants to bless you? And what an amazing testimony it will be. When the Lord works all that out. The whole darkness and light together thing. Don't put God to the test. Go ahead and watch that. Read that. Listen to that. God will protect you from the sin your entertainment is celebrating. Don't put God to the test. Go ahead and buy that. You don't have the money for it, but the bank is full of money, haven't you heard? And they're happy to lend it. And he'll bail you out as you borrow recklessly with discontent for what he's provided. And you know what a great testimony it will be when he bails you out. Don't put the Lord to the test. I'm afraid we all know about putting God to the test, don't we? Just as we all know about the temptation to serve self. Just as we all know what it is to be tempted to live by something other than dependence upon the Lord. Well, one more temptation we need to know about, says Matthew. Look at verse 8. Are you still listening? Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to Jesus, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. 
Wow. And some people stop here and begin debating back and forth whether, now do you suppose this was a literal thing? Did did the devil literally take Jesus to a high place someplace in the wilderness so he could see the entire, all of the kingdoms of the world? Or or was this a vision type thing? And and, um, let me just say, who cares? That's not the point. Although there is a monastery of the temptation out in that wilderness area. And you think, well, maybe that answers the question until you realize there are monasteries and chapels and shrines all over Palestine, and most of them have absolutely no bearing or semblance to historical accuracy. Case in point, there is a mountain of temptation restaurant and gift shop. And <laughs> historians are fairly certain that is not original. That, that came later, Right? So, so this whole literal, you know, was he literally transported? Was it, 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 that's not the point. The point is that Jesus, in his humanity, faced temptation to achieve God's goals without God's means. Now, pay attention because we're going in a direction now. Because you are sorely tempted that way too. And so am I. What had God promised his son with whom he is well pleased? Well, remember where we were in Psalm 2, not too long ago, verses 8 and 9. Ask of me, says the Father, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. Who's going to give the Son the nations? This is the part where you answer. The Father, right? And the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. And how many of you know there is a day coming, the scripture says, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father, but not before the cross, not before our King's glorious resurrection. And and yet Satan, the father of lies, whispers this stuff into your ears and mine as well. You can have what God has promised. Just take a shortcut. Give God an assist here, right? This has taken too long. Your kids are going to turn out just fine. God is gracious. You don't need to roll up your sleeves and do the difficult work of raising your kids to grow in the knowledge and truth of Jesus Christ Monday through Saturday. Just let the church take care of that on Sunday. Let the school take care of that. I hear they got an incredible VBS in quorum. Send them over there. (laughs) And you know what that is? That's stupid. But that is the lie. That the enemy of souls sows among people made in the image of God. You can have what God promises. Just take a shortcut. Don't bother studying your Bible. Don't bother being in fellowship with his people. It's just that when you really need wisdom and you really need encouragement, just call out to God and he'll just zap you with it. He'll get you all caught up with what you've been missing all these years. Well, God is gracious. And I stand before you a prodigal 
to my shame. And I can tell you that the Lord does restore what the locusts have eaten. But that's hardly reason for us to presume upon God that way. To think that we're going to get to God's promise by something other than God's means is not a heavenly mindset. It's a hellish mindset. Verse 10, then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. All of these temptations ultimately are to do with self-preservation, self-direction, self-pleasing. And here is our king, our victorious king, determined to obey the Father for you. Determined to be the savior of his people. And that mission necessitates him serving us and not himself. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. How can we not marvel then at the active obedience of God the son? You see, he didn't just die for us. He lived for us. Every day he walked this earth. Let me just end with this. And I don't mean right away, but fairly shortly. <laughs> you know, this, this business of, of presuming upon God, it, 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 it's very possible in a group this size, that some of you here this morning presume upon God even now. And you're, you're, you're asking, expecting him to save you by some other means than the grace by which he saves. And let me just tell you, friend, if your salvation is attached to anything, but repentance and faith in Christ's life and death and resurrection for you, you're deceived. And you can smile when you hear that because that is the good news of the gospel. Jesus has done everything necessary to reconcile you to God. So let today, let today be your day of salvation. Don't turn away from grace that you see so wonderful and beautiful here in Matthew 4. The man who was God who came to this world and was tempted as you are and always said no when you've so often said yes. Here's the thing. Jesus' victory over temptation is a victory shared with his people. You believe this? You fight sin, Christian. You and I fight sin from the high ground of a victory that has already been won. We belong to the king who said no to temptation, said no to sin, who only said yes to the will of the Father. 
And we're with him. We're his people. And this episode that we read of here in Matthew 4, we're not meant to think that this was, oh, this was the only time Jesus was tempted. As long as he got through this, man, wow, what a relief. What, what did they say as he hung on that cross, bearing the wrath of God for your sin? What, what did people say to him? If you're the son of God, why don't you get off the cross? And, and, and the gospel is what? Because he's the son of God. And because he's come to save his people, he came for the express purpose of staying on that cross until he had drunk every last drop of the Father's wrath for your sin. God's people fight temptation from the high ground of Jesus' victory. Last verse. The devil left him. And behold, angels came. And ministered to him. Notice that the angels did come and serve the king of kings. Nobody else saw it though. It wasn't some big circus like the devil was trying to orchestrate. Jesus in his humanity did get fed. And his thirst was quenched. And his soul was encouraged. But in God's timing. And God's way. And how much sweeter that nourishment must have been coming as it did as the fruit of obedience and faith. And so there is not only an assurance for us as we cling to this Jesus who won this victory for us, but but there's also an example for us too, isn't there? Jesus shares this victory positionally. His obedience is credited to us. But he also shares this victory practically. And by that I mean his weapons are ours. Listen to 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. What is the way of escape? What do we see in Jesus in the wilderness? Jesus lived by the Spirit. Does not the Scripture tell us, walk in the Spirit, and you'll not indulge the lust of the flesh? Jesus lived by the Word of God, and so must we. There's no shortcut, right? How sweet is the fellowship that grows out of obedience and faith. I guess you could say God's people fight temptation with his power and by his means. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this glimpse of the beauty of our king, the power of our king, our Jesus, to do what we have not and cannot Lord, we thank you for your perfect obedience. And Lord, we also thank you that you who knew no sin, yet became sin for us, you've credited your obedience to your people. Oh, what high ground we have for this life that we live. 
And Lord, you say to us, Lo, I am with you always. So Lord, there's never a time that we face temptation without you. Lord, I pray that you would train us, that you would test us, that, Lord, we might learn more and more to walk in the Spirit and to to live by the Word and see your faithfulness to your people. We ask you this, Jesus, in your name and for your name's sake. Amen.